Demille. Now, during the election period, uh, SACPA usually will announce if any of the candidates are present at one of our meetings. So today I would like to announce that Shandy Blaken from the NDP is here. Would you please stand up? And there she is over there. SACPA will also be holding an election uh, candidates forum, and that'll be on October 2nd at the University of Lethbridge. So we hope that we all be able to come there. Also, I'd like to announce that tonight at the, uh, there's a golden maple reception in the wondrous reverberations of science, and that'll be um, tonight at the University of Lethbridge First Choice Saving Center room PE 250 at 7 p.m. So the admission is free, and hope to see you there. And also next week's topic will be the Arches Indigenous Recovery Coach Program, a path for recovery. And our speakers will be, uh, let's see here, uh, Joey Blood and Jerry Firth. So that'll be next week. But now we'll just uh, welcome Joe, uh, Joel back to the podium. We're going to have a half-hour session of questions. Please keep your sessions, uh, your questions uh, short. Um, also, yeah, okay. So, uh, also, there'll be no questions from the floor, please, because they're recorded. So, we're come to the podium. So, Joel, could you please uh, come over and we'll question? Hello. Thank you very much. That was a very informative presentation. My name's Carol Darmody, and I have two quick questions. Most of my garbage is organic, and I do have a compost pile. I would say 60% of it is organic, maybe even slightly higher. So that's part one of my question, um, um, like what's happening with... Um, the organic waste. And number two, I would like to go on a tour, if possible, um, of the recycling plant because I'm sure I'd learn a lot more. Thank you for your questions. And <clears throat> just to answer your first one, uh, I'm pretty much amazed for the numbers that you said because that goes really consistent to what we have seen in previous waste audits. We did a waste audit on the black heart, and we found that in 2015, we had roughly 49 to 50% of organics materials into the cart, which is really close to what you did today. And we are just expecting this week the final report for a waste audit that we did after the blue cart. So in June, we went there and we measured what do we have in the blue cart and what do we have now in the black cart after we implemented. And my assumption, and based on what we saw, we're going to be close now to 55 to 60% of organics materials in the black card. So we have been working when this was approved, when the curbside recycling was approved by council. They asked us to come back after the implementation of the blue, of the blue card program with an implementation plan for organics. And we have been working on that. And it will go to council in, in the fall of this year. We will bring a proposal for that. And uh, number two? The tours. The tours, yes. <clears throat> so we are planning to start 
Most likely it's gonna be at the beginning of next year. Mondays are days that we don't do residential collections, so the MRF is down for maintenance and for cleaning. We are planning to do tours on that day, so we're gonna be offering that to the community because you're totally right. The moment that you're there and you see how the system works, that will help you to understand the problem. Hi, Joel. Grant Harrington. Joel, I, I know you're looking at the ICI pretty heavily in the next little while. Um, now, you know, you know I've been recycling plastic in Lethbridge and area, in Alberta and Western Canada for years. But um, my biggest problem with ICI is I have two firms. One is Bayer Crop and the other is Pioneer Hybrid. Uh, Bayer Crop is probably generates 2,000 uh, super sacks or polywoven bags a year and so does Bayer, uh, Pioneer, Pioneer Hybrid. Now, Bayer Crop, I take all of theirs and I remarket it for them or we recycle it, one or the other. Pioneer Hybrid has a system where they just break the bag, put them in a container and send it to the landfill. Is there any way of moder moderating this and moderating it rather and keeping this from happening? Because they're a huge firm. They could recycle it. The social responsibility is not there. And I'm just wondering, do you have a plan for people like that? That's a good question, Grant. So what we have, I mentioned here, we're doing surcharges for this industry, right, for the ICI when they go to the landfill. We don't have the manpower, and it's gonna be pretty much impossible to, to inspect every single load that we have at the landfill. That's why we have one person doing random inspection. When the trucks come, okay, the next one send it to me, and I will check what they have. When this is being noticed, and we see that they have those plastics or those recyclable materials, they're gonna get a surcharge. Next step is we're gonna be doing mandatory recycling in 2020. So the ICI strategy started with an increase in the tipping fees at the landfill and a decrease of the recyclable material. So that was number one. We told pretty much the message was it's cheaper for you to bring it to the recycling side than to take it to the landfill. A year passed, we saw nothing. The tonnage was the same, so people didn't care. That fee went up one more time. Nothing happened. So this year we're doing the surcharges. And we're trying to now, every time you hit companies in the pockets, they try to, to think they're gonna go there. And we will see what happened with the surcharges. Even though if they are successful, next year is the mandatory recycling. We announced that this June, the past June, in council, we say next year in June, we're starting the mandatory recycling. And we want to encourage them to do that. Can we mandate that to happen? <clears throat> That's a council decision, number one, number two. Is the province. I know there are many works in, in, in progress that they could probably get there, but it's really hard. All we can do is to try to encourage with economic incentives in the powers that we have, and we have been trying to do that. Even when you look back at that uh, chart that I had, you see that they have reduced the amount of materials that they bring. Can they do better? For sure. Okay, I, I have one other question. Now, you're, you're uh, advertising for an education and in Initiative specialist, I noticed. Now, with all the people you have in your department, 
Is there no one in there that can take on that responsibility so that maybe I could phone and say, hey, listen, get in there and see Pioneer Hybrid and see what the hey you're doing with all that product and why aren't you handling it properly? Now, this, this new specialist I see is being hired in your department. You're totally why right. Do, why do you, you need one more? It seems like you've got a, a mess of people up there working for you. Is, is that not something you can pass on to one of them? Okay, so I'm going to reply to you on that end. <clears throat> it's not a new position. We have a person for the past nine years that has been helping us to get where we are today. If I talk again about the results of the curbside recycling, it was the communications. If you probably saw advertising all over. We talked to the residents. We have message. This person was working for the city and just took another opportunity somewhere else, so we are going to replace this person. So it's not a new position. It's an existing position that has been there for nine years. Exactly that's how long this person has been with the city. Um, it has been a tremendous job. And on top of that, why you need that? You need to make sure you communicate to the, mess, to the residents and you achieve what you need to achieve. And it's a really important when you talk to everybody else. The communication or outreach, I think I said it here, that was our number one priority with the curbside recycling and it's showing good results. Oh, so this is not a new position. No. Gotcha. Okay. Thank next, you. Next question, please. Dwight Perry at this end, Joe. I uh, just want to know Get closer to the mic yet? Okay. Okay. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> My back's sore. Uh, well, anyway, there's the laugh for the day anyway. Uh, Joe, uh, I know I've got Scotch in my background, and I know I've got Jewish in my background. I haven't found Dutch yet. But I always look at the entire cost of everything, and I'm really concerned when we're being pushed by, uh, I don't like using the word tree huggers, but we're supposed to be not be using our oil anymore uh, if they had their total uh, say in it. So when I, I noticed your chart there, it showed that all this being collected and I noticed that the bottom of the arrow ended up Texas. Well, if that stuff's being shipped that far, what are the, what are the transport costs and how much uh, uh, pollution are we putting into the air to haul this stuff that, far as I'm concerned, should all be used right here? Good question. And <clears throat> again, that's a good example why I probably need the help of the communication as an outreach people is because I did that PowerPoint myself. All I did is I went to Google and I looked for a map between Canada and the US, and it has that arrow that goes to Texas. <laughs> Sorry, I probably should have done that. I should have get the corporate communications or the person that left to help me with this, but I didn't. The material is not going that far, but you have a good point. We have to look not only at when do we receive it, but also where do we send it. Especially in the past, some of this material was going all the way to Indonesia or was going all the way somewhere else, which is incredible. I mean, again, I, I'm coming from, I came 15 years ago from a different country where things are way different than here. And I, I have seen things that are not right. And I know we do it right here, but sometimes I question why 
things happening or get shipped to those countries. So in our case right now today, what, where we ship, we try to, when we did the RFP for the marketing contractor, we told them we want to be responsible. We want to know where it goes. FOB Lethbridge, number one, so we know we pay our, our dog. And number two, we want to know where it goes. It, it's not going that far. It goes to the US. And I don't want to relate all the details I can for privacy for the contractor, but I can assure all of you that it's not going that far south. And it's going to places where they have the capacity. We are, and I'm going to be honest, we are probably in a 25 years low in prices. And even though we have those prices that are 25 years low, we are still able and we are able to provide a service. We don't have any concerns yet. And we know that market will rebound back and hopefully we can do better than what we're doing today. But it's not going that far. When that market goes back, then we can even go as south as, I don't know, I will say probably California. That will be the farther we'll go. It's not going, not even half of that distance today. Hi, Joel. My name's Cheryl Bradley, and in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a tree hugger. <laughs> <laughs> And I am involved with an environment Lethbridge project, and we've just released a website about reducing food waste. Mm -hmm. um, I think our thinking is that if we do get organic curbside recycling, um, it would be a good idea to reduce what we do actually compost because we, it ends up in, uh, turning to methane regardless, right? Um, but it would be useful to have um, better data about how much of our organics is yard waste versus food waste. And I see with the curbside recycling, it is split into types of materials. So I'm wondering what kind of information a waste recycling service is collecting about our organic waste, and is, is it available to understand how much is actually food waste and avoidable food waste? Thank you again. <clears throat> we are working on that. We actually had a two-year contract where we were doing a waste audits, and the main reason is basically we want to understand what is that composition, what it looks like, what materials are. So that information will be public, so we're going to have access to the reports. We know today that 51% is organics. What is in that organics? We also know that roughly 30% is food waste and 70% is jar waste. We can even see when we, we have a scale, every time we collect the trucks, with those trucks they go through the scale. In the last few years we have been more into the data because we want to use that to make the decisions. We were doing that before, but we want to make sure we nail down. We know more now. Let's use that knowledge. And we know that <clears throat> during March and November, that tonnage pretty much doubles. And the only reason why it doubles is because not everybody do grass cycling. You cut your grass and you leave it on the grass. That will be ideal. It will help your grass. Very little people do that. That's the reality. We see at the Waste and Recycling Center, at the landfill, lots of grass goes into the black cart. Not everybody use the yardway sites. We do have them, the tonnage, is probably not even a third of what we should have. 
that means that that material is in the black card. So that's really important to know where, where the composition is so we can make that, those decisions. And we have been working in that and hopefully in the fall we should be presenting that information to the public. Uh, Art Sanford is the name, uh, Joel, and uh, good presentation. And I have one simple question, but then I have another one. First simple question is, what do you do with glass? So the glass right now is being taken at the depots. <clears throat> and we started this year, we, we found that we have enough material. We have roughly, top of my head, I believe it's like 350 tons of glass. We are having an RFP that is being released this week and we're gonna have a contractor that will crush the glass. And that glass, we are going to be using that in different projects. That can be used as a base for pathways. So instead of using brand new gravel to build the pathways, you can use the glass. Uh, there is another opportunity we're exploring. You can even use it in the asphalt. I'm not sure that's a good solution because the asphalt over the time will probably deteriorate and the glass will be exposed and that's a liability. So we're looking at, looking at different options. We also did a shipment to a company <coughs> that produces or manufactures fiberglass, the insulation that we use in the houses, uh, but we found that it's too far. Going back to the question that we had before, this is in Seattle, so the freight cost was prohibitive and we were paying too much money for that. So we decided it's better to, look at it, to use it locally and we can reuse the glass in our own pathways when we build them. Uh, I, I also haul two uh, half-ton truckloads every week to the recycling green bins for our condo. And we've been very faithful about doing this. But you know, I was also on city council third years ago when we started recycling. And the idea there really is to have a kind of a closed loop where you're in recycling in and the product coming out the other end or use of it. And I think to myself, all the costs we're making of this sorting and mixing, why don't we follow what Sweden is doing they collect all their paper, cardboard, plastic, everything, and they burn it all and create electrical energy right within their own areas. Seems to me a much simpler and easier system. Instead of depending on somebody in the States, some contractor picking your garbage up or your plastics, sending it over to Asia, and all of a sudden you're blamed for the plastic showing up with your name on it. There are a few options for that's what is called waste to energy. <clears throat> and there have been a few attempts. Nothing had happened in Alberta yet that we have a plan that can do this. It has different elements that we, we're not sure is the right thing to do and that's why we haven't taken that approach. There might be some unintended consequences with that. We want to make sure if we do something, we know what we're getting into. That's the only reason why we, we haven't considered that. There might be other issues there. Thank you very much, Joel, for your presentation. That was very helpful. Mary Shillington. I was telling somebody that I was coming to SACPA and what the theme was, and she was very interested in, she doesn't have a, a compost in her yard, but she is collecting compostable items under her sink until the fruit flies got too plenteous. Uh, so she wonders, is there plans ahead to take those kind of items, uh, and if so, when might that happen? Yes, we, we're working in that proposal right now. We started at the end of last year and we're coming this fall to council with a proposal for the, for the organics. So okay. that could be collected at the curb as well. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. 
Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you so much for your talk. <clears throat> when I was about nine years old, my grade four class that I was in went to a glass plant uh, where they were producing jars of all kinds. And um, what they did is they took the, the broken glass from the cities surrounding and uh, made it into glass. So it seems to me that that's what we need in Alberta is someone that takes the glass and makes it into jars and bottles and so on. Um, in regard to the, the um, composting, when we were in Seoul, Korea, South Korea a few years ago, the organic waste that was the considered good waste was collected on a daily basis to feed the pigs in Seoul. Now Seoul is a, a city of 16 million people, half the people in South Korea live in Seoul. Um, but there's a social structure such that if something came from your house that had glass in it or something that would poison the piggies, you, uh, you would never be able to lift your head again in society. Uh, clearly we don't have that since we still have 10% of uh, garbage going into our recycling bins. So, my, my question is about <clears throat> the businesses because I go to my uh, optometrist and go to, the, go to the hospital and do various things and I notice that um, every time they do a test, the plastic that's used is just thrown in the garbage or the cardboard packaging are used in the garbage. Is there any plan by the city to try to approach the hundreds of visit, uh, businesses and the university, the college, the, you know, all these big, big places and the um, hospital for their recyclables? Yep. And I just brought back this slide of the PowerPoint. If you see the red area, that's what we call the mandatory recycling. And that mandatory recycling is for the ICI, which is all those small businesses, big businesses, all the institutions like the college, the university, even the city is an institution. Uh, we are going to require in 2020 that they do mandatory recycling, which means we are going to have a guy that says they need to have a three bin. And going back to your point, I just came from a family trip from Portugal, we have family there, and I was impressed to see and I actually told my colleagues at City Hall that I, I became, I, I have been only two years in the waste industry, but I became like a junkie now with the waste. I was with my phone taking pictures of things to show people here. And I was impressed how every business that I went, they had three beans. They had three small beans for everything and they have a fourth one in some cases. So they, they I don't know if it's the culture, they have been doing this for so many years, but they're there. And my question was, why can we not be there? What do we need to get there? It's time, I guess, it's change is not easy. We know that every time we change, why ain't gonna change? Well, there, there is a reason and hopefully we will, get, we will get there and with the mandatory recycling, when this happen, we're gonna impose that they need to comply with this and we're gonna have somebody going to those business and checking and seeing if they are complying with this and I'm not sure of the details, but. I really hope we can get there for sure. Well, the name is Doug Neal, and you just said that you'd like to know what you're doing if you're producing electricity with garbage. Um, 
I know that the technology is available right here in Canada. I've seen it done. And I know they've measured the emissions that come from producing electricity with garbage. And I know the ash that goes into a landfill when they remove the ash, there's no methane gas coming from it. So it must be the cost of the technology that's stopping us from doing this. You know, someday we're going to have to be building houses on landfill sites. And methane is coming from those places. So maybe it's time to start learning how to get rid of this garbage. I know Toronto ships it to the United States because they got no room for it in, in Toronto. So uh, the technology is available. Why don't we use it? Yeah, and and I, I agree with you, the technology is there. We haven't been able to see nothing in Alberta, at least, that can do this. And the ones that are talking about this, they haven't been able to move the project forward. There are a few groups that are trying to, to go to a waste of energy, but there is nothing tangible right now. And what we want to do, that's not different than different policies, EPR being one of those. We know EPR probably is good, that's the standard producer responsibility. But it's not here yet. In the meantime, we have to do something. So we're trying to do the best that we can with the resources that we have. And I, I agree with you again. I heard you wondering out loud, Terry Shellington, by the way, was my name. I heard you wondering out loud, how do we get to where uh, Portugal and other countries are? Um, uh, I would support mandatory measures. But apart from that, I think the uh, educational thrust needs to be a lot more aggressive than it has been. Uh, I think there's many things that can be done educationally that I'm not see, seeing being done. I think there was a wonderful brochure you put out back in May that helped us all orient ourselves to this. I think that needs to come out every three or four months. Uh, and I think there could be a, a newsletter or a report back to people that uh, something that we can see and celebrate, and see what progress we're making, and, and continually update people on where we're getting to so that there becomes a a community ownership of this and uh, and it's a team effort we want to get to the goal whatever the goal is and I think there could be some kinds of materials that are offered to churches schools and service clubs that uh, that uh, invite them to become allies and supporters of this that uh, would make this much more of a community effort and not just the city doing something and inviting us to cooperate so I think the educational thrust could be much more aggressive than it is I'm I cannot agree more with you. And again, <clears throat> when I mentioned before, education and outreach is important. We do lots. Is enough? No, we could do more. But we have a limited budget that we need to make sure we follow and that's what we spend. You're totally right, we send that material. Not everybody has access to the computer to go to the waste wizard, and we were talking about that in the table. We should probably send this once a year and actually give more updates. We do updates on the recycling on a new e-newsletter. We try to also have or to print the less amount of materials to, to be consistent to what we're trying to do. But there is a group of the residents that they don't have access to a computer or a phone. So that's an area we definitely need to improve. We need to see how we, we are trying to be in the, in the garden show. We are trying to be, this summer we had two summer students that they were grocery stores, they were in the depots. We're trying to be more there in the community to talk to the residents. And 
we need to do more for sure, and we're trying to do that. Jeff, two more short questions and Hi, short Anita. answers, hopefully. <laughs> Leona Jacobs. Um, so I was one of the people who took part of the Jane's Walk for the materials recycling facility. So yes, tours are fantastic, okay? It really um, helped frame it for me. Um, my question has to do with rewarding good behavior. And so um, I am probably of the 40% that you haven't seen the blue bin out because I'm an aspiring zero waster. And so to what extent in the, I mean, I appreciate that you have to pay for the facility and that's part of the fee that we're paying, but to what extent are you considering ways with RFID tags and scanning bins to kind of reward the behavior of not producing garbage or recyclables in the first place? Again, another good question. I'm gonna to try to be quick for the sake of time. Yes, we are using, we started last year implementing RFID, so we have four trucks, they, they have RFID readers, and we noticed that it works, so now we're extending to all the trucks that we have in place, so we exactly know when we're tipping, and they have a camera too, so we can see when they tip what material is inside the bin. Two, <clears throat> once we have all the program completed, that means having a green card program in place that we have everything established, we can go to a paid. And the paid is pay as you throw, you have a basic fee that will cover your operations because we need to make sure we cover those operations and then depending on how many times we tip your bin, then you charge your charge a dollar, 50 cents, whatever the amount it is based on your behavior. So if you only put it every six weeks, you pay you every six weeks only. Bev back again. <clears throat> on the east side of town, there's a biodigester plant, and they are taking all kinds of things. They can, they can even take um, sludge from septic fields and human waste and, and all kinds of things. So I'm wondering why the city isn't using that, or are you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I was asked that earlier today, too. Uh, that company, they do take, uh, that's an anaerobic digester, and they take uh, certain type of materials. You're right, they could take, like, from farms, different type of materials. They can take food waste. They cannot take jar waste. They cannot take any plastics at all. So in order for us to use them for the food waste, two things. We need to have one bin only for food waste, and we need to cross the fingers and make sure we have 100% communication so that residents don't have one single plastic. The minute they have plastic inside the, the stream, it messes their process and they, they're, they're done. It costs really a lot to them. And 70% of the materials that we have, as I mentioned before, is yard waste. So we need to find a solution for that. They could probably take some, but it's even difficult to meet the quality requirements that they need. Okay, one last chance to give a take-home message. What would you like to give as a take-home message? I think my takeaway message will be, I'm gonna sound repeating myself, is keep the good work, quality. Let's, I want to let people know and the residents know that they're doing a good job, that we had people from many communities here a few weeks ago and they were impressed when they saw the facility and they were impressed with the quality that we have, that the fact that the broker that we have is telling us they want your material. They haven't heard anything from them in your quality and no news is good news and they're taking more and more. That means that they're doing a good job. I want to really say thank you to everybody for what they're doing and I really hope we can continue moving forward with the next 
next step, which will be the green car program, and we can achieve that too. Okay, before we thank Joel, I think we should thank Henry Heinen for the beautiful gladiola that he has on the front. Thank you. And also, thank you, Joel, for a wonderful talk. Thank you very much, and we hope to see you next week. <laughs>